welcome everyone to Understanding the I Am That Is You podcast. Hey everybody, it's your girl Wynn Ruffin, and I pray all is well with everyone, and your hearts and minds are full of love, joy, and compassion for all God's children and all God's creation. And I need not mention being thankful during this week of Thanksgiving, because we are all aware of what we have to be thankful for. Most importantly, that which is far more valuable than our material possessions. But most of us do make an extra effort during this time to extend gratitude and show divine love by extending a helping hand wherever and however we can, which is a blessing to many of God's children. Believe me when I say those efforts do not go unnoticed in the heavens. Let us then hold steady those thoughts and feelings of love and gratitude in our hearts and minds in the days and weeks to come. And let them lead our actions always. Let us continue radiating those higher qualities into the atmosphere and emitting the loving energy of our own mighty I Am Presence so that our collective energy and power of divine love will begin to not only positively transform us individually, but begin to uplift the collective consciousness of all mankind so that the next level up transformation of the entire world will soon follow. Amen. Give thanks and praises for love and life And y'all be loved. The natural inclination of man is to lose interest in a thing and to lower his estimate of it as soon as he begins to comprehend it, but we assure you that were it possible for you to have a glimpse of the realities of the existence of that wondrous brotherhood, Yahweh Elohim, the creators of the world, you would find their real nature and character so far transcending your former conception of God, that your mind would sink beneath its effort to comprehend the wonders of that deific mind. Yet God in His love, wisdom, and goodness has so constructed us in His image and has led us so far into His likeness that we can now begin to apprehend something of the realities of His own great nature. If what has been said enables you, the true child of God, to look up with a realistic conception and exclaim in the language of the Master, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven, so on earth, then you will begin to comprehend the reason for the opening words of this prayer, for the soul recognizes the Father not as a myth, not as something far beyond the possibility of our perception, but as a real, tangible existence, as an intelligent being that is able to sympathize, through knowledge gained by experience, with all the weaknesses, all of the vicissitudes of the human family, 
and yet loves us with a love transcending the love of the mother for the child in her arms, or the love of a husband for his bride. This is a realization that will bring us nearer to God and bring God nearer to us, and in the order of the heavens, established by the great wisdom and goodness of God, we are brought in direct touch with His mind, His will, His loving sympathy, and His all-pervading mentality. As to how we are brought in touch with God's great nature, we have not been left to speculate, for every great truth has been recorded in some form in that wondrous book, the Bible. The Apostle in his letter to the Hebrews said, But ye are come unto Mount Zion, and unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable hosts of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect, and to Jesus the mediator of the new covenant. Here the apostle, either by vision or by revelation, is given to understand the order of the heavens and announces it by speaking of just men made perfect, and of the church of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven. It has been given us to know, and reason substantiates the fact, that according to the grade of development is the nearness of the soul to the throne of the everlasting Father, so that there are in the spirit world at the present time, not only the wondrous body of Yahweh Elohim, but there are angel spirits ranking in gradatory order from the highest sphere down to the borderland between the mundane and the spiritual. Therefore, when Yahweh Elohim has a message to send to the sons of earth, it is sent through the angel messengers, through the spirits of just men made perfect, and we have reason to believe that it is sent from one to another until a messenger is reached whose potentiality enables him to meet the capacity of man who is to receive the message, for there are angels so highly developed that their words would be to man a consuming fire. Therefore, the word of Yahweh Elohim must be passed down through the mind organs of those who are nearer to man in order that he may be enabled to receive it without injury. The Lord Jesus said, In my Father's house are many mansions, if it were not so I would have told you. John the 14th, 2. In Jacob's vision he dreamed, and behold a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven, and behold the angels of God ascending and descending on it. And behold, Yahweh stood above it. Genesis, 28, 12, 13. Thus this gradation is, as it were, a ladder set up on the earth, man, whose top reaches to heaven, Yahweh being at the head of the ladder, and each rung of the ladder from Yahweh down to man a stage of unfoldment, of spirit life, and all the angels upon these very planes are, as the Apostle Paul said, ministering spirits, sent forth to do service for the sake of them that shall inherit salvation. These ministering spirits minister to man according to his unfoldment. The ministering spirits, ministering to those among men who are sufficiently developed to receive heavenly truths and to put them into practice, have overcome and entered the realm of immortality, in other words, they are souls that are not bound to the earth's sphere, but live from the heavens. There are, however, multitudes of souls that are earthbound, that know nothing of the realities of a spirit existence, these are they that spiritualists, so-called, are dealing with, and among these earthbound souls there are as many malignant, evil-designed personalities, as there are in the physical body among men, yea, more. For when we come to deal with souls that are earthbound, we come in contact with that quality of human consciousness that is no longer restrained by culture or society, we are in touch with the impulses and passions that arise from the lower nature or a lower organism. Because of this, these earthbound souls were called by the Lord Christ demons, devils, for, as it is written, the mind of the flesh is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can it be. These earthbound souls are at enmity with the law of God, and when a person enters into covenant relation with God to seek God and righteousness with all his heart, 
and has decided to overcome generation and to live henceforth in the regeneration that he may attain immortality, these souls at once become to him pestiferous enemies to hinder, to deceive, to mislead and to destroy. Thus, we find ourselves on the earth plane surrounded by dark and malignant spirits, yet these dark forces have no power at all except what is derived from the spirit of the mundane or the earthly spirit. And so far as the children of God ally themselves to the spirit of God in covenant relation, and place their hand, as it were, in the hand of God's angel, overcoming fear and following the leadings of that divine messenger wholly, to that degree they are safe. The Goal of Life, by Hiram Butler, 1908 Isis Unveiled, Volume 2, Chapter 3 A people brought up and nurtured for countless ages among all the psychological phenomena of which the civilized, nations read, but reject as incredible and worthless, cannot well expect to have its religious system even understood, let alone appreciated. The profoundest and most transcendental speculations of the ancient metaphysicians of India and other countries, are all based on that great Buddhistic and Brahmanical principle, underlying the whole of their religious metaphysics, illusion of the senses. Everything that is finite is illusion, all that which is eternal and infinite is reality. Form, color, that which we hear and feel, or see with our mortal eyes, exists only so far as it can be conveyed to each of us through our senses. The universe for a man born blind does not exist in other form or color, but it exists in its privation, in Aristotelian sense, and is a reality for the spiritual senses of the blind man. We all live under the powerful dominion of fantasy. Alone the highest and invisible originals emanated from the thought of the unknown or real and permanent beings, forms and ideas, on earth, we see but their reflections, more or less correct, and ever dependent on the physical and mental organization of the person who beholds them. Ages untold before our era, the Hindu mystic Kapila, who is considered by many scientists as a skeptic, because they judge him with their habitual superficiality, magnificently expressed this idea in the following terms. Man, physical man, counts for so little, that hardly anything can demonstrate to him his proper existence and that of nature. Perhaps, that which we regard as the universe, and the diverse beings which seem to compose it, have nothing real, and are but the product of continued illusion, maya, of our senses. And the modern Schopenhauer, repeating this philosophical idea, 10,000 years old now, says, nature is non-existent, per se. Nature is the infinite illusion of our senses. Kant, Schelling, and other metaphysicians have said the same, and their school maintains the idea. The objects of sense being ever delusive and fluctuating, cannot be a reality. Spirit alone is unchangeable, hence, alone is no illusion. This is pure Buddhist doctrine. The religion of the Gnosis, knowledge, the most evident offshoot of Buddhism, was utterly based on this metaphysical tenet. Christos suffered spiritually for us, and far more acutely than did the illusionary Jesus while his body was being tortured on the cross. H.P. Blavatsky In the ideas of the Christians, Christ is but another name for Jesus. The philosophy of the Gnostics, the Initiates, and Hierophants understood it otherwise. The word Christos, like all Greek words, must be sought in its philosophical origin, the Sanskrit. In this latter language, Chris means sacred, and the Hindu deity was named Krishna, the pure or the sacred, from that. 
On the other hand, the Greek Christos bears several meanings, as anointed, pure oil, chrism, and others. In all languages, though the synonym of the word means pure or sacred essence, it is the first emanation of the invisible Godhead, manifesting itself tangibly in spirit. The Greek Logos, the Hebrew Messiah, the Latin Verbum, and the Hindu Virage, the Sun, are identically the same. They represent an idea of collective entities, of flames detached from the one eternal center of light. The man who accomplishes pious but interested acts, with the sole object of his salvation, may reach the ranks of the Devas, saints, but he who accomplishes, disinterestingly, the same pious acts, finds himself ridden forever of the five elements, of matter. Perceiving the Supreme Soul in all beings and all beings in the Supreme Soul, in offering his own soul in sacrifice, he identifies himself with a being who shines in his own splendor, Manu, Book 12, Shlokas 90, 91. Thus, Christos, as a unity, is but an abstraction, a general idea representing the collective aggregation of the numberless spirit entities, which are the direct emanations of the infinite, invisible, incomprehensible first cause, the individual spirits of men, erroneously called the souls. They are the divine sons of God, of which some only overshadow mortal men, but this the majority, some remain forever planetary spirits, and some, the smaller and rare minority, unite themselves during life with some men. Such godlike beings as Gautama Buddha, Jesus, Tishu, Krishna, and a few others had united themselves with their spirits permanently, hence, they became gods on earth. Others, such as Moses, Pythagoras, Apollonius, Plotinus, Confucius, Plato, Iamblichus, and some Christian saints, having at intervals been so united, have taken rank in history as demigods and leaders of mankind. When unburthened of their terrestrial tabernacles, their freed souls, henceforth united forever with their spirits, rejoin the whole shining host, which is bound together in one spiritual solidarity of thought and deed, and called the anointed. Hence the meaning of the Gnostics, who by saying that Christos suffered spiritually for humanity, implied that his divine spirit suffered mostly. H. P. Blavatsky If you can remember what the service of the angelic host is more frequently, and if you care for my company, I shall be glad to call upon you on occasion. Applause, audience rising. Thank you so much precious ones. Won't you be seated, please, and just remain so. I will not hold you long, but this is what I hope you will remember, and will bring the angelic host service to mankind into greater recognition as you move among the outer world and explain some of this law. And this is the obligation you owe to the angelic host. When a flame individualizes from the great central sun, the angel of the presence accompanies that life stream in every embodiment, until either the ascension is complete, or the individual meets the second death. There is no time when the angel of the presence is not accompanying the life stream. So that's what you owe to the angelic host. How often you see a certain amount of awareness of this really is within some of mankind, for you often hear this expression when someone is protected, escapes danger or something, you often hear the expression, well, his guardian angel must have been around. You know how often that is said, because the guardian angel is there. The higher mental body, in cases of danger, often builds up instantly a body and catches the outer self and controls it so it is safe from destructive forces. 
The angelic host accompanies the life stream from the time it leaves the central sun until it becomes an ascended being or otherwise. So children should be taught this from babyhood, and it certainly won't hurt full-grown human beings to become aware of the great power that life has used, and the great blessings that have been provided to help every life stream become an ascended being, and then a cosmic being, and then a creator of a world, or a system of worlds. Such is the great plan of infinite creation that ever goes on in infinite space, of which you can become aware, and which someday, surely, you should become aware. Beloved Archangel Michael The more you can ask, or charge yourselves with the Ascended Master's illumining consciousness of all that the angelic host means to life, the more the outer intellect would become aware of the service of the angelic host. And your love to the angelic host would automatically draw them to you. They are beings of love alone. They never use any other force. It is the sacred fire, and if you want victory over the manifestations of this world, you're going to have to use the sacred fire love of the angelic host in order to manifest that victory. So, they are quite necessary for your freedom, for the protection of all that is constructive, for the creation of all that is constructive, and for the management of manifestation. You didn't know you had some partners, did you, in the invisible? And they are not so invisible. Excuse me for saying this, but they are only invisible because mankind wears blinders, laughter, that's all. They are visible to the other realms of life. They are visible to each other. And so, we would appreciate this call, if you will make the demand upon the cosmic law that all mankind is forced to know of, understand, feel, see, and experience the reality of the ascended host, whether individuals want to or not. You demand the cosmic law's action of that, and there can come many surprises in this world a sinister force never thought about. And we might be some of them, not only might be, we will be. Now another service that the angelic host renders, where there has been a focus of great destruction over, perhaps centuries in certain localities, there's always a guard set up around those who are honest, sincere, and try to hold to the constructive way of life, to either keep those people out of that destructive vortex, or if the individual is caught in it, the angelic hosts give the protection to keep that which is constructive from being completely annihilated by the vortex of destructive activity of former creation. Now you know I am represented a good deal of the time with a sword of blue flame. The legions of the angels of the sword of blue flame, to the destructive forces of mankind's creation, the angelic host are terrific in the power of the sacred fire which they wield and the manifestations which they draw into outer conditions when it is necessary to consume evil. But when you see what the love of the angelic host can do in transmuting conditions of distress into the perfection and joy of eternity, your love for the angelic host will grow in leaps and bounds. And I want to bring to your attention tonight the fact that they many times accompany you, protect you, and bring to you things that bless you that you think just come through ordinary physical channels. Many, many, many gifts are the love and the blessing of the angelic host that come to help mankind in everything that is constructive. Beloved Archangel Michael, Thank you.